Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, well, we made it to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we're on the sixth church, and today, unfortunately, we're only going to cover one verse. But here's what I believe. There are certain sections in the book of Revelation that we need to take our time to fully understand it, and we can't gloss over the implications of Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. The church is Philadelphia. What do we know about Philadelphia? That's where it's located. It's one of the seven churches, Pastor Chris. Oh, yeah, the Church of Brotherly Love. <laughs> Wrong Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, right. G this is one of the only the two churches that Christ had nothing bad to say about it. This church and the Church of Smyrna were good churches. There was nothing bad that Christ had to say about those two churches. Uh, that's what it looks like. You ever uh, see the Roman road? Have you heard of the Roman road? It connected all those Roman colonies. Well, from the, the, the easternmost part of Rome, this is the Persian road. And it's literally uh, a great highway about 1,500 miles long. And, and this is it. And it went from the capital of Persia, which is Susa, all the way to Smyrna the city we just talked about, and Philadelphia is right on that road, way back in, in the day. It would take somebody three months to travel this road. Think about that. You think we have a bad commute. <laughs> three months to travel it, which is a long time. The word Philadelphia means uh, lover of his brother or brotherly love for his brother. That's the idea. The city was renamed about 140 B.C. in honor of King Attalus, uh, Philadelphus of Pergamus. Boy, that's a lot of peas almost there, right? Say that three times quick. Uh, because he had such great love for his brother. And so they named the city the city of brotherly love. You know, we're to be known by our love one for another. In fact, all the commands in Scripture are summed up by love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Spouses, love your spouse even as Christ loves you. And then Jesus gave us a new command, the hard one, with those brothers and sisters in the church. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you. Wow. Are we doing that? Jesus said, You'll know, they will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. Man, there's nothing more important than love. It is the most powerful force in the universe. In fact, God is what? Love. I got to tell you, folks, when you have bitterness and hatred and jealousy and envy and uh, spite and all of these evil emotions towards your spouse, you don't do that though, right? <laughs> or towards a neighbor or towards anybody, that is not the Holy Spirit in you. That will destroy you. It will rob you of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about the power of love later. That's the Colosseum in Philadelphia. Well, not Colosseum, the theater. They all had, all those major towns had these theaters where they would gather for uh, public meetings and be entertained. They would have concerts, uh, a lot like we have today. 
except without the electronics. There was an earthquake, though, in A.D. 17. What was going on A.D. 17? Hey, Jesus was probably about 18, 19, no, probably about 21 years old in A.D. 17. Think about that. He could go buy alcohol. I mean, no, he can't. <laughs> they didn't have to do that then. But uh, there was a big earthquake in AD 17 when Christ turned about 21 years old. He hadn't yet started his ministry. You ever wonder what he did all those years? He was a carpenter. He worked. He was a man's man, no doubt about it. All those pictures of Christ all skinny and frail, you know, he was a carpenter. There's no way he would have been that. He would have been in shape like Kevin back there. <laughs> I'm trying to get there. Praise the Lord. It was rebuilt by Tiberius, uh, the whole city. And uh, it really became a, a great city. Now, they had these great pillars in the temples there. And if you did anything incredible for the city of Philadelphia, they would inscribe your name on the pillar. Now, the end of this letter to the church of Philadelphia, it's going to say, man, hey, for those who overcome, you're going to be pillars in the temple of God. They had 17 temples in the city of Philadelphia. And these temples were beautiful. And these pillars, look how big they are. See the people there? I mean, what, what Christ is saying to the church is, you look around, you see these 17 temples that are beautiful and decked out with their names inscribed on them well i tell you what man those beautiful pillars you're going to be like that in the temple of god it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're just going to stand there in the temple of god man in the new uh, jerusalem and the new earth and the new universe i believe we're going to get to explore the gates are never shut it's going to be an amazing time and we'll talk more about that later all right uh, they had an above-ground aqueduct, and they were known for their vineyards. Any of you go to the Temecula, to the vineyards, or any of that? I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's really quite spectacular. And that's how the, the city of Philadelphia was. They had these beautiful vineyards. Um, in fact, one of their uh, greatest gods they worshipped for the whole city was Dionysius, the Greek god of vine and wine. And they worshipped him quite a bit. Virgil, the Roman poet, you ever hear him? Uh, 25 BC wrote how wonderful the wine from Philadelphia was. It was just this great, what do they call it, vintage? No? Yeah? Okay, great vintage of wine. <laughs> you know? So Philadelphia literally means brotherly love for my brother. It's the idea, it's not just simply love for my brother, what some in the uh, homosexual agenda try to say, hey, no, that's a word about home. No, it's not. It's brotherly love for my brother. You see, in the Greek, there's five different kinds of love. We all know this. And uh, agape is the godly love that we have. That's the love feast. You give until they're not wanting anymore. You do everything you can to please and serve others. All right, so. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to cover one verse today. Aren't you excited about that? <laughs> we will discover in this one verse when Jesus becomes King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, we already sang a song this morning. Crown him with many crowns. Do, 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 do. You know, and already said that he is king. Who is King of kings right now? 
God the Father. Now, we're going to talk about when Jesus Christ actually becomes King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We'll find out what the key of David is and what keys Jesus has given to us and really what keys represent. By the way, this week, as, I was, as we read the verse, it's going to say, man, he has the key of David, speaking of Jesus Christ, and what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. All right, so I'm praying about this all week. So last Monday, guess what happened? I come home, unlock the front door, poof, the handle comes off. I can't get in. There, there was something happened to it. So I had to like take it away. I mean, all of this. So I buy a new one right for the front door. Install it myself, put it on. Two days later, about four in the morning, I get up quite early. I had fed the dogs and walked them, and I was about ready to uh, do some prayer time and devotion time. And I shut the bedroom door so it doesn't wake Cheryl up, my wife. So uh, I walk the dogs, all of this. I go to the door. It, it's like it was locked, but it was busted. I don't know what happened, and this is the weirdest thing. So I'm praying about doors and keys and, and all of this. So I had to take it apart from the outside, and it had a plastic thing holding the, the deal that, that goes into the, the door jam, right? It was plastic, and the plastic had busted and jammed in there. So I couldn't, I had to take it apart too, and I still couldn't open it. It was jammed, so I had to pry all those pieces of plastic out. It, it was a mess. Isn't it weird? Man, you have to go through what you preach. I hate that. That's the one worst thing about the preacher. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to look at the authority we have in Christ's name. You know, there's something about being a Christian that most Christians negate and neglect, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, the authority that we have in Jesus' name. And we will find out why we need the armor of God and how to be victorious over the schemes of the enemy. So this morning, that's the goal that we will cover that in this one verse. And here's the verse you can turn there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel or pastor of the church of Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. The key of David, who opens and shuts. By how many of you have a ton of keys? I've got a ton of keys. Some of them, I, I've forgotten what they open. Do, do you ever do that? I have like four key rings that are filled with keys. And it's probably all the way back when I was an administrator and training. Uh, so everywhere I've worked, every church I've been at, I still have keys. <laughs> and uh, locks for this, locks for that. Man, keys represent what? access authority privilege to use something that's of value typically you do not lock up something that's of no value in fact what we do is go set it by the trash can and then these people come through and collect it and i don't know what they do with it but usually if if it's not valuable you don't lock it up amen have you ever given your house key to somebody okay what 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 are you saying when you give them that key Hey, I trust you. You have access to my house. Sometimes you'll set parameters and limits. You know, you can do this, don't do that. Don't go in this room, all of this. But it's the idea of authority and privilege to use something. 
Revelation 3, 7, again, Christ has given the key of David. We're going to explore what that means. It's really a phrase in Judaism. The phrase goes all the way back in one other verse, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 19. Talking about King Hezekiah, it says, I will dispose you, Hezekiah, from your office, and I will put, down, uh, put you down from your station. Then it will come about in that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Eliakim was Hezekiah's administrator in the palace. What he's saying is, Hezekiah, you have failed so much. God's saying, I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to put your administrator in charge of the whole kingdom. And this is what he says about that, verse 21, Isaiah 22. I will clothe him with your tunic. I'll tie your sash securely about him. I will entrust him with your authority, and he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Essentially, he's saying, He's going to become king in your place. I'm going to make your administrator who works for your, you the king. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. The same thing that is said of Christ in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, is said of Hillelikim way back in Isaiah, and that is the idea of granting authority or kingship to a different person. It's a Jewish phrase. All right. The key of David. David was divinely appointed and nominated as king of Israel. Do you remember the story? Hey, he was out shepherding his father's flock, and uh, the prophet came and was going to anoint the next king. And he said, do you have any other sons? He brought out all his older sons and handsome sons, and, oh, well, there's one out watching them, but you don't want him. But that's the one God wanted. Amen? David wasn't a great guy, right? He made some big mistakes, probably mistakes bigger than anyone else in this room. Committed adultery, murdered her husband. He did some bad things. Yet he was a man after God's own heart, and he had amazing love and faith for God. You see, God doesn't look at your imperfections because Christ paid for those on the cross. He wants your love. He wants your devotion. The promise to David was made in 2 Samuel, and it said this, chapter 7, verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure uh, before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. And Christ, we know, is a descendant of David. Amen? So he will get the key of the house of David, meaning he's going to be given authority over all of Israel. He will be king of Israel. Is he king of Israel right now? No, not yet. We're going to talk about that. Jesus, as the descendant of David, will reign over the house of Israel forever. And as son of God, he's heir to God's kingdom as well in heaven. Remember, we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Meaning his kingdom's not here yet. When you hear those preachers say that, hey, well, his kingdom is, is here already. Do you know we live in enemy territory? The world still belongs to Satan. We're going to go over those verses. P.S. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You ever considered that? Romans 8, 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness uh, with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs or fellow heirs with Christ. 
it is so, uh, if so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him as well. What does it mean to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Yes, what, what we become, we become a sibling with him. Jesus said, when you see me, you will be what? Like me. Okay, we're going to talk about that more. But Jesus is everything. Make no mistake about it, Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority and one day will be declared the rightful king of kings and lord of lords. But the day is not yet, both in heaven and on earth. But when does that happen? We're going to talk about it in a minute. But first, Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords as heir to the throne, but he hasn't received those titles yet. Some of you are like, yeah, but we always call him king of kings and lord of lords. We do that knowing what he will be. Right now, guess what he is? He is our high priest. Do you know that? In fact, we have a high priest, we're told in Scripture, that mediates between God the Father and man. So right now, Jesus is high priest. Then, in the future, and we're going to cover it with Scripture, he will be king of kings and lord of lords. Hebrews 2.8 uh, clarifies that for us. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Speaking, uh, uh, the author of Hebrews, I think is Paul, is talking to God the Father about Jesus Christ. He says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Hasn't happened yet. Guess what? If it had, there would be peace on earth. All sin would be gone if Christ was reigning right now. Who's reigning right now? Satan, and we're going to talk about that, okay. God is the ruler of heaven, and Satan is the ruler of earth right now. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is not ruling anything but what? The church. The church. He's head of the church. He's our high priest. That is his title right now. Not king of kings, not lord of lords. All right. Remember, God the Father reigns right now in heaven. 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, that man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. Meaning Christ is not king of kings and lord of lords yet. Okay, let's look at some more verses. They are equal, but Christ voluntarily submits to the Father. That's like in a marriage. You are completely equal, and the wife voluntarily submits to the husband. It is all voluntary right now. Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 10. Why don't we turn there really quick? Paul writing to the church of Philippi. And it says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Are they equal? Absolutely. They're fully equal. But emptied himself. What's that called in theology? The kenosis. The emptying, he emptied himself of his divine nature, taking the form of a bondservant, being made into the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Remember what Christ prayed in Gethsemane 
uh, or uh, on the Mount of Olives before uh, he went to be killed. He said, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, let thy will be done. What was Christ's will at that time? I don't want to die. I don't, I don't want to become sin. Jesus' will, you got to think about that, was, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want, and I, really it wasn't the suffering, physical, it was taking on sin. He is perfect. It would be like us jumping into a cesspool of all this yucky stuff. I mean, it, he's going to become sin for us. That's the cup that was hard to bear. Mm. Continue on, verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. You know every knee is going to bow. All those atheists, all those people that reject God one day, they are going to bow and trembling and fear. Man, I can only imagine. Will my knees to I fall? Yeah, you're going to bow to your knees. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and un under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Man, that verse makes me excited. Mm. Ephesians 4 4 says, There is one body. Who's that? The church. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Just as also you are called into one hope of your calling. What's our hope? The resurrection, the rapture. There's one Lord, Jesus, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. Now, the Trinity, when you look at it like this, make no mistake about it. There is one Father, and that's God the Father. There's one Son, Lord, that's Jesus Christ. And there's one Holy Spirit, and there's one church, body, bride of Christ, right? Okay, the three are com in complete unity. Three persons, one God. The persons are Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each given the title God. Are you with me? Okay. Involuntary submission. John 20, 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. What is Jesus saying here? God the Father is his God. Are you with me? Okay. God is ruler in heaven. Satan is ruler of the earth right now. Christ is high priest to the church, the mediator between the Father and man. We have one mediator, Jesus Christ. John 14, 28. You've heard it uh, that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is what? Greater than I. So many people try to confuse the Trinity. Well, they're one, but they're three, and oh, it's like a four-leaf clover, three-leaf clover, or all of that. No, the Father's seated on the throne in heaven right now. Where's Jesus Christ? At his right hand and walking amongst the candlesticks, making intercession as our high priest between God and man. And the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go into Sheol, behold, you are there. If I go to the heights of heaven, behold, you are there. If I ride the, the wings, uh, the, the rays of the sun on the clouds, even there you are. If I go to the depths of the sea, even there your right hand will grab me. The Holy Spirit's everywhere. Okay. All right. John 14, 29. 
Now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Who's Jesus talking about there? Satan. Satan. Okay, so God is ruler in heaven right now. Jesus Christ is our high priest mediator between God the Father and mankind. That's you and I. And Satan is ruler of the world. Yet so many people do not teach this. Well, we, Christ is already is victorious over Satan and the world, and he's reigning right now spiritually. Though, no, he's not. Why is there evil in the world? Because Satan is still the ruler of the world. Make no mistake about it. Matthew 4, 8 says, Again, the devil took Christ away when he was being tempted to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. What's implied here? That Satan is the ruler of the world, that he is the king of all the kingdoms of the earth, that this world, folks, is enemy territory. And that's why our citizenship is in heaven. We're strangers and alien. We're sojourners. Yes. Oh, yeah, and he has the authority to do that. Satan has the authority over the earth for now. Fact is, he is God of this world. That's why there is evil in the world. 2 Corinthians 4.3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Do you ever talk to someone and it's like there's a veil over them? I mean, the more I witness in this day and age, at the minute I go to God and intelligent design and irreducible complexity of cells and our eyes and our whole everything, they're, I mean, they're so complex they couldn't have evolved. This veil goes over their eyes. I see it. And when, when I get to Jesus Christ in the gospel, it's like the glade, they're just like, it's weird. It's so strange. Who's, who's veiling their eyes? 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4 in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Folks, it is getting more difficult to witness. In fact, Christ said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Ugh. 1 John 5.19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, Satan. Why is there evil and sickness and and, and trouble in the world because Satan is their God and he has power over the whole world. That's why we are ambassadors. An ambassador implies we don't live here. Our, this world is not my home. We are ambassadors temporarily here on assignment from God to do something. It's why there's pain and sickness, but Christ is a way out. John 10.10, 10, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, in Christ Jesus, we overcome the world. We are no longer part of this worldly system. We're no longer influenced by Satan. Now, he does still do those arrow darts. You ever get those? Just weird thoughts. You take those thoughts captive to obedience to Christ. We fight the fight. We're not of this world. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I can't wait for him to come back. I'm ready to go home.
That's why Jesus prayed this for us in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Is that happening? Man, it's happening. I, I can't believe some of the attacks I get. And people even on news channels, you know, attacking right-wing fundamentalists. Oh, that's people that believe this whole book is true. That includes you and me. I guess someone called us deplorables. <laughs> oh, man. Lord have mercy. Yeah, Hillary. Verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. You see, Christ, our high priest, is even interceding for us. Father, keep them from the evil one. Don't let the evil one get them. Remember when Peter came up to Christ and Jesus said to him, Peter, Satan is trying to sift you like wheat, but I interceded for you. I prayed for you. Do you know the Holy Spirit, when you don't know what to pray with groanings too deep to understand, prays for you. It's very interesting that the Holy Spirit and Christ himself intercede and pray for us to who? The Father. Okay. Three persons make up one God, completely unified. All right. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. What's that? The whole world, Satan's, Satan's realm. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, which is in heaven. Amen. All right. So when does Christ get the kingdom? Turn to Revelation chapter uh, 12, starting in verse 7. This particular portion of scripture happens right at the abomination of desolation. When is that in the last seven year period? It's right in the middle. It's right exactly in the middle, three and a half years into the last seven year period, which most people refer to as the tribulation. Okay, it's really the 70th week of Daniel. It says this, verse seven, and there was war in heaven. How do we know it's right after the abomination of desolation? Go back to verse six, Revelation 12, six. Then the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Guess how long that is? Three and a half years. Okay, so this, has to, this is right at the abomination of desolation, the midpoint. This is when Israel goes to the wilderness and are protected by God when he pours out his wrath for three and a half years. So that's how we know when this was. And there was war at this time in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Remember, who deceives and blinds the eyes of the unbelievers? The God of this world, Satan. We just read it. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels, demons, were thrown down with him. Then I heard another voice in heaven saying, Now, at this time, get this, the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death so we know right at the abomination of desolation 
There's a war in heaven. Now, remember, we talked about this, and we're going to talk about it in depth when we get to Revelation chapter 12. But as the Antichrist, what's he doing at the abomination of desolation here on earth? He is going into the rebuilt Jewish temple, and he's proclaiming himself God. He's taking over God's tabernacle on earth. That's what the Antichrist does. In heaven, guess what Satan's trying to do? Take over God's tabernacle in heaven. All hell breaks loose. There's a war in heaven. They are cast out finally. And now it says Christ's kingdom. It, now he has the authority of his kingdom. Does that make sense? Then right after, and we're going to get to a timeline in a second. Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 gives us another clue when Christ gets the kingdom. Why don't you turn there? Daniel, chapter Ezekiel. It's in the Minor Prophets. Chapter 7. Starting in verse 9. Daniel 7, 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up. Why, why does it say thrones, plural? Remember how many elders there are in heaven? 24 elders on thrones around the throne of God. So I kept looking for thrones set up, the 24 elders, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Speaking of God the Father. His vesture was white like snow. He's seen God the Father on the throne, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Those are angels. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court set, the 24 elders, and the books were opened. Verse 11. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words of the horn. Who's the horn here in Daniel's prophecy? The Antichrist. That's the Antichrist, who Satan had given his power to, was speaking. I kept looking until the beast, the Antichrist, was slain. His body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. That's at the second coming of Jesus Christ, when the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. At the second coming, note this, the rest of the beasts and their dominion were taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Verse 13. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This is when Jesus Christ becomes King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. So, are you with me? When does that happen? At the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's presented before God the Father, and he's declared King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he reigns on this earth for what? A thousand years, the millennial reign, and we reign with him. All right. So, at the Battle of Armageddon. Note, isn't it interesting that he gets that authority in heaven when a battle takes place in heaven and Satan's finally cast out right at the abomination of desolation, the midpoint, and he gets the authority on earth at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, question is that the authority at the uh, abomination of desolation is when Satan and all of the, the angels are cast back to the earth. Right. Christ gets, takes the kingdom at 
then the raptors right after that Yes. Yeah. So, so, so Satan has to be cast out before we're raptured up because we're going to a perfect place. The accuser of the brethren right now, Satan has access. I know it's hard to difficult to understand, but just like Job, God allows Satan to have access to discuss. And right now he's up there accusing the brethren. Okay. But after this war, he will be cast out once and for all. And Christ will be given authority. We just read it in Revelation chapter 12. Now the authority of Christ has come in there. At the breaking of the seventh seal, I believe that document, and we're going to talk about it more in Revelation chapter 6, is title deed to the earth. Seven witnesses witnessed that, that legal document, probably the seven angels that stand before the throne of God. They each put their seal on it. And we're going to talk about how God is self-limiting right now. If God is all good and all powerful, why doesn't he just destroy Satan and all evil right now? Because he's self-limiting. He cannot lie and he cannot break covenant. And he has made covenants with us that we broke. And that's why Satan is the ruler of the world. Who was the ruler of the world in the Garden of Eden before we sinned? He gave it to us. Adam was. He said, it's all yours. You have dominion over everything. Do anything you want. Just don't eat of that one tree. So God gave us dominion, we sinned, and there had to have been an agreement between Satan and God that, hey, when they sin, I want it. And that's how Satan became ruler of the world. Okay, Christ will take it back. At the Battle of Armageddon, it's a second battle. He will become King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19.11 talks about that. Man, as he comes to fight the Battle of Armageddon at the second coming, and we are coming with him on white horses, that's going to be cool. You know, cosmic horses. We're going to fly from heaven all the way here. Uh, on his robe, it will say, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's when Jesus is given the title at the, at the very second coming. After the final judgment, Christ will give all authority back to God the Father. So after the millennial reign where Christ reigns, and by the way, at this point, guess what? God the Father is submitting himself to Jesus Christ. Christ becomes king of kings and lord of lords. All authority and power is given to him. But at the end, he's going he's to give it back to God the Father. Let's read it. Well, first, let's look at a timeline. That's the 70th week of Daniel. Let's call it the seven-year tribulation period. This is when it starts, seal one. Seal seven starts the judgment of God and wrath of God, which we're not appointed to. So we have to be raptured prior to that. And it ends with the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we go into the millennial reign of Christ. All right. So let's look at a few things. Remember, 10 kings without a kingdom, Revelation chapter 17, verse 12. Come to power for one hour in the last days. They have one purpose to do what? Give their authority to the Antichrist. Okay, that Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to enact a covenant, confirm a treaty with many for seven years. That's when Satan and Antichrist begin to reign on this world. So that means that Satan and all the angels that have been cast to the earth will go through the wrath of God. Yes. And be to it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, because at the end it says Satan and uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet will gather what's left of the nations to fight Jesus Christ at Armageddon. And they'll be waiting there for us when we return. All right. So Satan and Antichrist reign for the first three and a half years. How do we know it's only three and a half years? 
Revelation chapter 13. Why don't we turn there really quick? I mean really quick. Let's just read verse 2 and verse 5. And the beast, speaking of the Antichrist, which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear. This flows with Daniel's prophecy. We're going to talk about this when we get there. And he had a mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, or Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Guess what? God gives his throne to Jesus when he reigns. Satan gives his throne to his false messiah, the Antichrist. You know, Satan mimics everything God tries to do. That's why cults, so many people are deceived. It's like you said, Pastor Chris, so close to the truth. But that little bit of error is, is, is terminal. It, it's terminal, the error that they have. Note this. And the dragon gave him his power and throne and great authority. Skip down to verse 5. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for how long? 42 months. That's three and a half years. The Antichrist will only have power till here. This is when battle in heaven breaks out. Satan is cast down and then we are taken up and God's wrath is poured out and judgment is poured out. Now, I know some of you may be pre-trib thinking we're going to go here. I wish that was true, and I hope that is true. But when we get there, you'll see the scriptures that I believe we're going to be here till here. And so hang with me. Don't, don't leave yet and don't tune out yet, okay? I hope it's pre-trib. All, uh, I, heck, we're affiliated with Calvary Chapel, and if, uh, it, they're staunch pre-trib, okay? I was pre-trib my whole life, but I think there's some verses that indicate we will be here just prior to the wrath and taken out. And I'll show you the verses, so please don't tune me out, turn me off on, if you're watching online. Uh, I'll give you verses, and you will have a chance to email me your uh, arguments back. All right. So I believe the mark of the beast will be implemented about the fifth seal. Okay, now remember when the Antichrist first takes power, the first seal, many people say, oh, then there's going to be world peace. Nuh-uh, what happens in the second seal? War. War breaks out. It's going to be horrific. Third seal, famine and pestilence. Fourth seal, earthquakes and death. Now this isn't God's wrath. This is natural events that are occurring. They occur today. Fifth seal, martyrs. Are Christians being martyred around the world? Estimate last month, what, there was like uh, 30,000 Christians killed for the faith? That was a guesstimate in Sudan and all these third world countries and, and all of that. Fifth seal, the mark of the beast will be implemented. And then we continue on to the abomination of desolation and the battle of heaven. That takes place right in the middle. Remember, we know because... Antichrist rules for three and a half years. That's all he has authority for. And Israel is following him. They have a false peace with him. That's why they're called the synagogue of Satan in the book of Revelation. But here they see, they look upon him who they pierced, because he appears. They mourn, they repent, and God takes them to the wilderness and protects them for three and a half years. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Uh, God's wrath starts at the breaking of the seventh seal, which begins the trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet is the bowls of wrath, which happens after that. We are rescued from the wrath that is to come, meaning we have to be raptured prior to that. Rapture I put there, 
And when we get there, you will see all the proof texts that I have for that, which I think are, are several. Uh, then the Antichrist gathers the nations and Satan for the last battle, the battle of Armageddon, second coming of Jesus Christ. That starts the millennial reign when he becomes king of kings and lord of lords, both in heaven and on earth. And then the final judgment at the end of the millennial reign. All right. Yeah. I believe for a short time, okay. for a short time. I, I, he won't establish world peace and world dominance till right around the fifth seal. Because before that, what is it, first seal? He, he confirms a treaty and all hell breaks loose. The world goes into world war, second seal. Then the third seal, famine and pestilence. Fourth seal, earthquakes, death by sword, all of this. Wild animals. So he hasn't established his kingdom probably till right before this. Then there's world peace, and then Christians will be hated by the whole world. And in fact, the fifth seal is Christian martyrs. Yes. Uh, that's why it says he who endures to the end will be saved. You see, we're going to be, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit now. And we will be sealed on our forehead with uh, Christ's new name, God's name, and the name of the new Jerusalem. Those that follow the Antichrist, it's not going to be a deceptive, oh, take this so you can buy it, you know, so you can. It's going to be, I pledge allegiance to this guy. Now, I got to tell you how scary it was when Obama was being elected and all of that, those messianic ideologies that people were doing. I mean, they were like, man, we pledge our allegiance to this man. They're still doing it. They're still doing it. And, uh, you know, if he said, man, if you want world peace, I can do it. I'm, to, to pledge your allegiance and in order to buy or sell in this new economy, you got to receive this mark on your hand or on your forehead. They will do that. They will pledge their allegiance. It'll be easy for Christians at that point not to take the mark of the beast. Um, because we will know it's the mark of the beast if we're here. Now, I, I do pray that God would come take us home right now. I really do. But I think we need to prepare to endure to the end. Story of the five or the ten virgins, Matthew 25, right? Uh, they all have lamps, but some of them said, we better get extra oil and get ready to endure to the end. That's why they were ready. They all fall asleep waiting for the bridegroom. They knew the exact day because they went out to meet the bridegroom on the day. So they know the day, they just don't know the hour. That's why in 1 Thessalonians it says, hey, the day of the Lord will not overtake you like a thief. I'm going to give you signs. You're going to know not the exact day and hour, but you're going to know the season. So you need to prepare to endure to the midnight hour like the five wise virgins. Five were wise. They brought extra oil. They all fell asleep, all ten of them. About midnight, the herald said, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. They all wake up. The wise ones had the extra oil. They were able to endure to the end. They went to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The foolish went off to buy oil. They couldn't get any. Later they came, knocked on the door, and he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked um, people. So uh, it's very interesting. So anyway, we'll get into all that later. After the millennial reign, we have uh, five minutes. And final judgment, 
Jesus gives kingship back to God the Father. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. Let's read that. So for eternity, it will go back to Father being King of kings and Lord of lords over all and Christ being in submission to God the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 23. It says this. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he, speaking of Jesus, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that, he will, uh, that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjected to him. So when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself also will be subjected. Are you following this? To the one who subjected all things to him so that God, speaking of the father, may be all in all. Okay, are you with me? So in Daniel 7, God the father gives Jesus Christ all rule and authority and dominion. He becomes king of kings, Lord of lords. That happens at the second coming. At the end of the millennial reign, at the final judgment, Jesus Christ casts sin and death into the lake of fire. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. And it says this, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So when that happens, when he abolished those two enemies, what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, then Christ gives all authority back to the Father so that God the Father may be all in all. Okay, so Hades is Sheol. So that's the holding place where, uh, in the Old Testament, everybody went to Sheol, Hades. Uh, the good people went into what's called Abraham's bosom. Now that was just the paradise, the good part of Hades. The bad people went to the bad part of Hades. Remember the parable uh, Jesus taught on the rich man and the beggar? Rich man, man, just give me some water from my tongue. So it's not a good place to be. At, at the final judgment, everybody had already been raised for the final judgment. So no one's in Hades at that point. But Hades is that holding place and death, which brought people to Hades, will be, it'll be gone. Those are the last enemies. I want you to consider, God considers death his enemy. God did not intend for man to die. Adam and Eve were going to live forever. But what? They sinned, and sin brought pain and death and suffering and pain in childbirth and making man work by the sweat of their brow to make it. Death is an enemy of God, and it will be conquered at the final judgment. The final enemy. Isn't that amazing? Three minutes. Revelation 1.18. And the living one, I, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, Jesus speaking, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Remember, he got those. Um, when he died on the cross, he conquered death, right? Rose the third day. There's two resurrections left in, in coming in the future. The first resurrection is the rapture. 
And then there's going to be a resurrection for the final judgment. Everybody will be raised and they all will be judged who didn't go up in the, in the rapture. He also conquered Hades the three days when he was in Hades. Um, Abraham's bosom, he released all the captives. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Okay, bottomless pit is a holding place for demons now that, remember Jesus when uh, that demon-possessed man said, oh, don't, don't send us to that dark place, the bottomless pit. In fact, one of the judgments of God, the bottomless pit's going to be open, and these demon locusts, they're, they're demons, are going to come out, and they're going to torment men for five months with tails like scorpions stinging them. And the, the leader, the demon leader of those is Apollyon. But then they're going to all be cast into the bottomless pit again and held. So it's different than the lake of fire. So it's a holding place for, for demons and Satan. Uh, stars are symbolic of angels, right? Often. Often they are. Because even in astronomy, uh, black holes, they swallow stars. Yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. All right. So uh, Christ has given us keys. We've got two minutes. Uh, Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's the keys to God how, God's house. We have access to the throne of God any time, day or night. Do you know that? Do you know when you pray? It is an incredible privilege because you are going to God Almighty. He hears your prayers. We have the keys to his house. And with the keys, he has in, entrusted us with authority. We have authority in Jesus' name. There's power in the name of Jesus. And why do we have authority in Jesus' name? What if someone knocked on your door and said, hey, I come in the name of uh, uh, President Trump. Uh, he sent me to you to do this or give you this. He would carry all the authority of Trump. Does that make sense? As his ambassador. We are ambassadors of Christ. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not our power. You know those faith healers, oh, look what I did, and I'm, I'm so great. No. No, we're just the UPS guy. We're going up, man, here, God wants to do this for you. In Jesus' name, be healed. And God heals them in, in Christ's name. He's the one giving the gift. He's the one doing all that. We have authority. Don't neglect the authority that you have. Uh, we're Christ's ambassadors, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus said, came and spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's been given, but he hasn't appropriated yet. We found out when he becomes king of kings, Lord of lords. Go therefore and make disciples. We need to do that. And he's with us to the end of the age. Authority over the power of Satan, Luke 10, 19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you spiritually. Here, serpents literally is the serpent, Satan himself, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the scorpions are those demons that come out of the bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 9. Do we get sick? Yeah. If we drink, I've gotten stung by a scorpion, by the way. It hurt. A red line went up my, my leg. You know, it, 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 luckily it wasn't one of the bad scorpions. This was up near Bakersfield. But I believe this is talking spiritually. Nothing can injure you, and nothing can harm you at all. Mark 3.15, and you have authority to cast out demons. And he summoned the 12, Mark 6, 7. 
and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits, speaking of demons. First uh, Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you know that? But resist him firm in your faith and he must flee from you. What happens when you resist him? James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I want to end with this. What does it mean to resist? Okay, we, we figured out we live in enemy territory right now. This world is the enemies that he causes all pain, suffering, sickness, sorrow, all of that. And we're ambassadors of Christ, but they can't harm us spiritually. Resist is a Greek word, and it literally means it's a military term. Stand your ground. Stand on the word of God, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Stand firm is another uh, uh, translation. To withstand, resist, or oppose. When you do that, Satan will flee. He, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. And restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word, I love the way it comforts me, strengthens and restores my soul, satisfies my needs.